HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Happy fall, everyone. This is our 331st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful New York-based F&B development consultant, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be a good listener. There's a quote, which is one of my guests today's favorites, which says, we have two ears and one mouth, so we can listen twice as much as we speak. Yes, listening and paying attention to others is a good quality to have, as it not only shows respect, but it helps lead to better relationships by building rapport and demonstrating that you care what someone else has to say. And in turn, listening to others often leads for them to return the behavior and listen more carefully to you. So let's listen to each other. It's an admirable skill. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm happy to have my guest joining me. It is Jessica Shupak. She is a New York-based F&B development consultant who works with developers, hotel companies, operators, and cultural institutions that are introducing new F&B experiences or reimagining existing ones. An alum of the Ultima Rea Group, Jessica has opened restaurants in multiple U.S. cities, Europe, and Asia, and has worked on some of New York City's most beloved restaurants, such as Osteria Morini, as well as some of the dining world's most revered institutions, including multiple projects with 
the James Beard Foundation. Without further ado, hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to chat with you and hear all about your, your career because I feel like what you do is really cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so as, as I always do on my show, I like to start out with my guests and find out how they got into what they're doing today. So do you want to take us back a bit um, to what led you into hospitality? Sure. Um, Because I actually, I did not start out in hospitality. Uh, You know, truth be told, I was fascinated by hospitality as a a kid even, mainly with hotels at the time. Um, But my dad had worked for a company that owned hotels and restaurants, and he would strongly discourage that direction. And one of my best friends, um, my lifelong best friends, her dad was the GM of a hotel, and I was hoping maybe um, he would encourage me so I could you know, take that back to my dad and say, you know, someone on the front lines who has my best interest in mind thinks it's a good idea. But he sort of doubled down on my dad's sentiment. <laughs> and I just wasn't rebellious enough at the time to go against the tide of two father figures in my life telling me not to go that direction. So I went uh, a more traditional business route and I started off my career as a strategy consultant at Bain & Company. And uh, I had a a couple other positions, and then I um, got an MBA at Harvard. And while I was there, I tried and failed to get a corporate position with a hotel company. Uh, So I transitioned to doing corporate strategy and M&A roles, working for companies like JP Morgan and Reuters, uh, working between New York and London. And then I uh, uh, left Reuters, and I ended up at a company that was just a really bad fit. And I knew it before I even got there. But the real silver lining for me of that misstep was that it made me think long and hard about what I really wanted to do. And I realized I just like couldn't fight that hospitality DNA I had. So uh, that's when I left the corporate world behind and said, I'm going to go fig- figure out you know, what to do in sort of the hospitality and food landscape. Wow, amazing. Well, that's, a, I mean, and that's wonderful, incredible experience to have in, I think, in anything that you would then move forward with. So... Um, how did you end up with the Ultima Rea group? Did you just see that they were hiring? No, actually. So, you know, I knew I had made that I decided to make this move. Um, and cause I knew in my bones, just like viscerally, I wanted to do something in hospitality or food. I wasn't exactly sure what the right spot was. And despite my, um, prior professional experience, I actually wasn't super strategic about how to go about making this transition. So I was just doing a lot of different stuff to, meet people and get experience in the industry and figure out exactly where the right spot was uh, for me. And I had a food blog in the early days of food blogging. Um, I, they, had, they used to have a program at the Astor Center and Murray's Cheese. It was almost like an internship where you would help them execute their, uh, their classroom programming and you could take all the classes for free. And so I did that as often as they would schedule me so I could meet people in the industry and learn about food, more about food and wine. And I was also doing some consulting to chefs and food entrepreneurs I knew because I could help them do things like raise, um, uh, write business plans and think through growth strategy and things that were more functionally in my wheelhouse while I was learning more about the business. And I was also you know, applying for jobs and trying to make the transition. And um, I was I was getting a little frustrated though because I wasn't getting a lot of pro- uh, a lo- I wasn't making a lot of progress. I was facing some resistance, and I was almost considering giving up. And then one day I was sitting at a cafe, sending out resumes. I decided to take a break. I open up Cranes, and there is in the forty under forty is Michael White, 
And uh, I was thinking, wow, you know, and I was, I read it, I looked at it and some sort of light bulb went off in my head. And I said, I knew I wanted to work with him. Wow. Um, you know, no yeah, joke cool. story. Um, and so I reached out to them completely cold and, you know, explained why I thought I would be a good addition to their team. And, um, you know, they were kind enough to meet with me and we started a dialogue. And then as the company grew and they realized that they could, uh, you know, use a little bit more muscle in their organization, they brought me on board. That's like, that's a, a terrific story. Yeah, I love it. And so I, I I know Olivia Young or Liv Young. She's been a guest on my podcast. Sure. I I am thinking you must have overlapped time while you were there and she was there. Was is that right? Yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. I think uh, Olivia and I overlapped for about five years, probably. Okay. Well, that's that's wonderful. I mean, I mean, and also just, I mean, for people who aren't as familiar with Michael White or, or Altamaria Group, probably people who listen to the show are. But um, talk a little about like what like what the company was when you joined it, and then how it how it developed because it developed a lot. It, it did. Um, you know, they had really ambitious goals out of the gate, which is one of the reasons why I was able to you know make a compelling pitch to them that they needed someone. Um, with my background to complement who they already had on board, who had industry experience. And, uh, you know, so when I, I first joined it, really, um, you know, they had one very successful restaurant, which was Morea. And, you know, that is the foundation off which we grew. And, uh, you know, my role there really evolved over time, because when I joined, it was almost like a startup environment. And, you know, so everyone was doing a little bit of everything. And over time, as we grew, my focus, um, you know, really... Uh, started to home in on growing the business, which for us at the time meant opening new directly owned and operated restaurants. And I was really, you know, drinking from the fire hose, uh, you know, because before I knew it, you know, I was opening two restaurants at the same time, you know, sort of just, uh, you know, my first real experience in the industry. And, you know, there I was opening, uh, you know, two um, very anticipated uh, restaurants at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you had, you know, like ever told me when I was back at Harvard that one day, you know, I'd be trading like spreadsheets and PowerPoints for architectural plans and concept inspiration boards and things like that, I would have said like, that's totally, uh, you know, like far-fetched, <laughs> like cuckoo even. Um, but, you know, that's, um, you know, it, it was actually like the first time in my life, I really, I picked, I picked it up quicker than I've ever picked up something professionally before. It just clicked, you know, and I finally knew I was doing what I, what I meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that. And um, so, so the company, when did, when, when, what happened, like you were there for five years, like at what point, where was the company at at that point? Um, so we had, you know, grown so much by that point. We opened um, multiple restaurants in New York. We had opened in DC. We opened in New Jersey. We had opened in London, Istanbul, Hong Kong, um, you know, and a lot of different types of concepts as well. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, had, uh, casual concepts, we had fine dining concepts, we had, um, you know, mid-price concepts in between. Uh, so it was a, like a very uh, aggressive, uh, you know, stretch of growth while I was there. And were you working directly with Michael or with like, did you have a team? I mean, how, how did that work out? Uh, so initially, I was a bit of a one-man band, but as the growth started to accelerate, 
Um, I, uh, you know, was was fortunate to be able to put a bit of a development team together there, and uh, you know, who I'm all still in touch with, like really terrific professionals who all had, uh, you know, different strengths, and it was um, just like a really uh, terrific team that it was just such a joy to work with, and um, you know, and so when because at one point I think we had you know six going at once, so there was no way one person could be in all those those places at once, and. We just had a, a really great team supporting that effort. Yeah, well, I mean, I live near Morea, and it's been um, it's always been busy, and even well, the pandemic changed things up a bit, and there's been change with the company too. Because I know Michael White isn't with the company anymore, but it's amazing. It's still every time I go by there, it's it's busy, it's thriving. People love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so what, so then what led you, I think it was 2016 to, um, to start on your own, uh, working independently. Um, you know, it was sort of similar to my last transition. It was a little bit of an accident. Uh, you know, when we had gone through such aggressive growth and it was, you know, sort of time to take a a little bit of a tight, uh, time out. Um, and you know, at that point I, I was really focused on growing the business. So I said, um, you know, it might be uh, time for me to do something else. And um, the, you know, some, some projects came to me and at first, you know, I resisted because, um, you know, I started my career in consulting and, you know, said that, you know, wasn't for me, but I, you know, ended up taking these um, assignments and I realized I really liked doing it. Actually, it was, it was the context, um, you know, that I hadn't enjoyed that much. And now it was, you know, in the context of something I was really, really excited about. And so, um, you know, so I decided to, uh, to, you know, continue on and, and pursue that. So what, how, what were some of these projects and how did you, and, and also was asking two questions at once, which you're not supposed to do, but <laughs> how did, what led you to work with the James Beard Foundation? I don't know when that came into play. Um, that was actually, you know, if I think about it, it was sort of one of the longest lead sales processes you could imagine because I actually had planted that seed before I worked at Alta Morea. Um, and, you know, I'd reached out to them offering, you know, to do some pro bono consulting for them and developed a relationship with them even before I was at Alta Morea. And, uh, you know, not that much came of it. You know, we did some small things, but not, you know, not that much. And, um, and then, you know, I had my hands full at Alta Morea. And when um, I you know, start, started to pursue consulting again, I reached back out to them and, and we started talking. And it wasn't until Claire came on board, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, uh, you know, she had a number of you know, different areas of, of the foundation that she wanted to look at. And there was, you know, one in particular that she could use some outside support on. And, uh, you know, so we collaborated on that. And it was, you know, really uh, a terrific partnership there, just um, a real dream client to have, just, you know, just really smart, passionate people who are just a joy to work with. Yeah, she's wonderful. I'm fortunate to have the opportunity that she was on, on this show, too, and I've gotten to know her a bit and, and uh, been involved. I've been involved with the James Beard Foundation and going to the awards and this year covering them again in the red carpet and just being a part of it. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see their development. So, so what, talk, talk about uh, how your role or the different projects you've been working on, because I know they're now opening a food hall, 
which is exciting. It is. It's super exciting. Um, it's a terrific project. And, you know, it's really something that's very trans, um, transformational for the foundation. And, you know, they're very excited about it. So they are opening up um, an event space, a show kitchen, and uh, participating in a curation of a food hall um, at Pier 57, where they will also uh, be taking one of the kiosks themselves. And uh, it's a you know, really ex- exciting project. So what's your role with that? Like, what are you, what are your... What are you specifically doing to help this come to life? So first, um, they need to decide if they even wanted to do it. So that's where it all started, uh, you know, in terms of the project. And, um, you know, so they came to me and said, we we need help uh, evaluating whether we want to move forward with this. So that was the first step. And then, you know, when we cleared that hurdle, um, they needed some, you know, uh, outside support with domain expertise and, you know, thought partnership to sort of help them shape their vision for what they wanted to do at the PR and help guide them through the development process. And so, you know, that's what my role has has been with them on that project. And where is it at now? Because I last I thought I heard they were possibly going to open in the fall. Yeah, it's uh, um, coming soon, and I would encourage anyone who is interested in um, staying on the pulse of when the opening will happen to uh, sign up for JBF's newsletter and follow them on social. I, I think their handle is uh, at Beer Foundation um, in you know all the different social channels, and I, that's the best way to um, you know find out more detailed information as soon as it's available. There you go. And what what other what other projects are you working on now, or is that are I don't know how many how many clients are you you know managing at once. Um, you know it it, it varies. Um, you know because some things start and stop, and uh, you know some things um, you know sort of have a more you know persistent cadence to them. Um, working on uh, something in Midtown right now, so it's you know nice to work on another local project, uh, and um, you know that one's really exciting. Um, let's see what else. I am working on a uh, hotel project um, with a brand uh, that uh, is looking to do something new with their F&B, you know, and sort of need some help thinking through the strategy for that. Um, so it's a lot of different types of clients. Got it. So this is a good segue into my question from my, my last guest on episode 330. I had on Dan Richer, the chef and owner of Raza pizza out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and he's the co-author of The Joy of Pizza, Everything You Need to Know. So he wants to know, it seems like you're involved in many aspects, many different aspects of the food and beverage space. So what does your day look like? So I I actually listened to that episode and it made me so hungry for pizza (laughs) by the end of it. Well, Um, yes, and I'm (laughs) fortunate that he fed me after our interview and it was, and I had leftovers and it was, it was, it was wonderful. It's worth, it's worth the trip out there for sure. I, I could practically smell it um, while I was listening to it. It was a, a terrific episode. Thank you. Um, you know, one of, one of the things I, I, I really like about it is, is there is no average day. Um, you know, the only thing that's consistent for me is I start my morning the same way each morning I come in, I schedule my entire day out um, and I have a like a prep guide that I use to sort of set me up for the day. And then from there, 
it really can range. I can be on a construction site. I can be collaborating in Zoom or in person with um, consultant teams or with clients. I could be, you know, throwing on noise canceling headphones because I'm doing something, you know, some really focused work, um, like uh, reviewing leases or management agreements or architectural plans or things that I, I really need um, focus for. And then, you know, there's um, occasional visits to showrooms or shops to see, you know, FF and E, and you know, of course. Uh, every once in a while, there's a tasting here or there, uh, you know, which is always a, a, a real treat. Yeah, no, I can. I mean, I I'm with you on like for me, not one day is the same, and I I like that not one week is the same. It's all, it's all I mix it up, and it's it works for me. It doesn't. I don't know if it works for everyone, but it's sort of um, I don't know. It's uh, I think I don't I don't do the 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 planning at the beginning of the day though as <laughs> you do. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I just go. I just go and figure it out as I'm going. Um, but, that's become like my seatbelt. If I don't do that at the beginning of the day, it just like everything goes off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Very, very good. It's a, it's a good, good, good um, skill to have or something to do. Okay. So um, before we take a break, well, a couple more things, but let's talk a little about the Gratitude Hot Minute. Um, for those who don't know, what is it? <laughs> so I'm super excited that you asked about this because this is a project I'm really excited about. And I'm honored that you've also been a part of it and joined me as a guest. Uh, so basically, the premise is super simple. I started a, a web series where I invite really awesome people from the hospitality industry like you um, on, and I give them the floor to thank someone who's helped them in their career for give or take a minute. And, you know, people in our industry are really tight on time. Um, so I wanted them to be able to, you know, watch it while riding an elevator, waiting for the subway, taking a short break. And it's just something that's really simple, feel good and short. And it's just been so much fun. And the stories I've heard so far are really great. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it and grateful and, and appreciate you asking me. And um, it was, you know, it's, it's a cool concept to, to just, show some gratitude uh, back to people and keep it short, as you said, as people's attention spans is, is short. Um, so when when is it, when are you planning to launch it? So I'm going to launch it in the coming weeks um, and I'll be posting it on social and it'll also live on my website, which is uh, jessicashupak.com and I'll have um, all of the uh, installments archived there. Cool. And how many, how many people are you starting with? Or are you going to keep it going? I'm guessing. Or, you know, or, it's funny. Initially, I thought I would just do like a set amount, um, but I've been having a lot of fun with it and people have really been enjoying uh, participating with it. So I'm just going to, you know, keep it going and, uh, you know, we'll see, um, you know, we'll just see how long it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it ongoing for sure. So what what is it now that you love most about what you're doing? Do you like working independently? Um, and and are you you know that you made it into this food and beverage industry? Um, are you happy to be here now? <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, this is where I'm meant to be. It's you know I I would say it's where I meant to be all along. Although the all of those experiences I had earlier in my career out of industry. I use all of those, you know, tools and skills and experience in what I do, you know, every single day. So, 
Um, I, I do think I was always meant to be here, but I think it's invaluable that I had that experience prior to coming into the industry. Um, and what do I love most? And, you know, do I like being solo? So the, one of the, I guess, one of the things about working in development is, is technically, yeah, I'm a solo practitioner, but development is a team sport. Um, you know, there are teams of people who bring these amazing restaurants to life. And that's one of the things that I love about it. And I learned so much through collaborating, um, you know, of course, with my clients, but also with the architects and the designers and the kitchen designers and the engineers. And, you know, that's one aspect that I really love about what I do. And I'm constantly learning new things from all these really amazing people. Yeah, that's great. So what final question before break, what what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into a career like what you're doing with F&B development? I, I think that working in a restaurant company and getting pretty close to operations is essential. Um, it doesn't have to be fine dining. It just has to be someplace that operates really well. And you need to learn how to understand everybody's job because to build great restaurants that deliver an exceptional guest experience, you need to build for function so that everyone who plays a role in delivering that experience has what they need to do their jobs well and is set up for success. And that all comes down to how you physically build the space to enable them, you know, to, to do that. So I think it's super important, um, you know, to work in a, you know, a well-run restaurant company and, you know, understand um, what all the jobs are and how to do them well. Awesome. Great advice. And on that note, let's take a little break. So um, we will come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. That's getbento.com B-E-T-T-E-R. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Jessica Shupak. She is a New York-based F&B development consultant. So, Jessica, it is time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? I am ready. Bring it. <laughs> All right. Great. Here we go. Eat in at home or, or eat out at a restaurant? Restaurant. Indoor dining or al fresco dining? Indoor. 
Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, this one is so difficult. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a little controversial. I'm going to go all-inclusive. Okay. I don't know what, yeah, I, this is, it, it's always the one that is the, like, could be just a whole show about, <laughs> about the topic, but um, it's interesting. I've gotten, I've got, I've, I've heard answers on both sides. So, okay. A few more. Um, fusilli with octopus and bone marrow or lobster and burrata? Fusilli. Okay. For people who don't know, those are <laughs> two, I think, very appreciated dishes on uh, Maria's menu. Or, yeah. And if I was choosing, I would also – I love lobster, but that fusilli, man, it's a good pasta. There's nothing like it. <laughs> it's like you got to get it. Okay. Um, how about Little Island or Pier 57 Rooftop? Pier 57 Rooftop. Yeah. Where you can see Little Island from. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, Spectacular view of Little Island. Yeah, it really is. Okay, last two. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? I'm, I'm, I'm born in Brooklyn, but I'm going to go with Manhattan, Cherry. Okay. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> um, and that's the game. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, you were very speedy. Um, that was fun. Okay, so for industry news this week, uh, I picked out an article that it was in the New York Times entitled 29 Reasons to Make a Date with a New York Restaurant. After fits and starts, New York restaurateurs are ready to return to business as pre-pandemic usual with a flurry of reboots, expansions, and cuisine pivots. And this was by Florence Fabricant. And so, yes, it's uh, tis the season of uh, anticipated fall restaurant openings, <laughs> where uh, Eater wrote about their they have their list come out this week. It's it's the time that people write about restaurants, write about what's coming up. So, um, Florence Florence has a lot of places, uh, you know, a lot of cool places on her list, and she talks about how it's a robust fall lineup, and that. The downtime of the pandemic um, turned some restaurants, uh, some favorites to renovate. Some people, unfortunately, were forced to close but found new locations and there's some new reopenings. So um, did you did you, you see this piece in The Times? I did see it. I did see it. And, and you know, what struck me um, when I took a look at it is just how many interesting things are opening in Midtown. Um, yes. I, I, yeah, I think this is... A, a really interesting time. I, you know, I, I feel like for, for so long before the pandemic, there were wonderful restaurants in Midtown, but I, I would put them in the category of doubling as either expense account restaurants or occasion restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the, the, you know, a lot of the restaurants in Florence's list um, were super interesting because they're not the usual suspects for um, you know, uh, Midtown dining. And I think that's really exciting. More diverse cuisines, a little more sort of rock and roll, a little more less, you know, a little less formal. Um, and, and that's super exciting. 
Yes, yes, I agree. I mean, there's a there was a whole um, a part of it, a section she had on the revival of Rockefeller Center, mm-hmm. which and I actually have talked a little bit about some of the new places that have opened already. Um, like my last episode, my solo dining experience was at La Rock, which is a new new restaurant that just opened in Rockefeller Center, and um, and Lodi opened I think sometime last year. Um, but now coming in is from the Automix team. They're putting in a place called Naro. Um, Greg Backstrom's going in there with Five Acres, and the and the King Restaurant Group is going in with Jupiter. And those are all. I'm excited to see what they do because they're all of these all of these restaurateurs and chefs have you know their their current restaurants are pretty fantastic, and mm-hmm. um, it's. But I think they're they're going to you know they're putting spins on what they're known for. So, um, yeah. And, and also she talked, uh, Florence's piece had stuff about what was happening at Grand Central being mm-hmm. wineries going in there. Um, so that, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's super exciting. And I think, you know, Midtown's still struggling to get people back into the office. And I, I think food is, you know, one of the tools that can help draw people back, um, and make them a little bit more excited about coming back to the office and being in Midtown. And, so having some, um, you know, new uh, luncheon and dinner options to, you know, enjoy without having to go downtown, uh, I think is, uh, you know, a great addition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's still the people who live downtown in in Manhattan talk about never going uptown, and that's kind of still a bit true. But <laughs> this is a bit of this is a draw. Um, to get them there. And also all the, obviously a lot of tourists plus, you know, the people who work, as you said, all the people who work in the neighborhood, um, the businesses, it is, it is still besides like the direct center of Rockefeller center and times square area. And even around me, Columbus circle there, those, they seem busier cause I live uptown, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of areas midtown that are, are still pretty quiet since pandemic times. Um, so, and I'm also just this piece, I mean, people should check it out. It's a, you know, she has Florence covers chefs making moves. One of them is uh, Marcus Glocker, who's mm-hmm. friendly with, who's, he's opening soon um, a place called Coloman. It's with a K, K-O-L-O-M-A-N, or Coloman. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But um, it's going in where the Breslin was at the Ace Hotel in Nomad. And Nomad is a very is, – is starting to really thrive again, I think. Um, it's a very happening neighborhood. So I'm curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I live in uh, Tribeca, not far from where Batard was, and I always enjoyed his food there. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, so – well, great. Um, yeah, so people check out this article. It's, it's we're just touching on it. There's a there's a lot in it of of things opening up over the next couple of months, and it's it's exciting. It's exciting to to see new restaurants and revivals all coming back. Absolutely. So um, okay, so time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at Kiki's Tavern. Here's the rundown. The location, Agio Sostis Beach in Mykonos, Greece, on the north side of the island. The concept is a family-run, no no reservations, traditional alfresco tavern with a gorgeous seaside view. The owner, his name is Vasilis. 
So why'd I go? Well, this summer I was on a solo trip to the Greek islands and uh, I saw this restaurant listed on like every every restaurant list that I looked up. And so I said, I have to go to this restaurant. So uh, my experience, well, when I looked up where the restaurant was, it's at the very north um, top of uh, Mykonos. And I, I realized I kind of needed a car to go there or I could have gotten a car service, but I'm I'm the girl who gets a car and goes on a little adventure. So I adventured up to this restaurant. They're only open for lunch. And from everything I read, it said, get there early. There's going to be a line. They don't take reservations. They don't have a phone. They don't. It's just a tavern with a great tavern with a great view and great food. So I arrived a little at a, after 11 a.m. They opened at 1230. There was a, a woman there, one woman there who was from Paris sitting and waiting. Her her family was down at the beach, enjoying the beach. And and we waited together in line and, and had a wonderful conversation. And more people came as we were waiting. But as soon as they opened up, she was the first table set and I was the second. And we had this beautiful view of of the the water and the beach and um the first thing they did after he sat down is invited me to go into the kitchen where they had a display of all the salads they made for the day and i picked two um for my meal and then i returned to the table and the whole menu there is is besides the salads is done on their grill um so i ordered i relaxed the staff was really nice um when i left i met the owner i got a little selfie with him he was managing this wait list and there must have been about 40 people outside just waiting. Um, and then I went down to the beach and I took a swim. So I had a really nice time. So what did I get? I, uh, they had was a bread basket, um, the two salads I got from the kitchen. I got a beet salad and a lentil salad. And then from the grill, I got their octopus that had lettuce and tomato salad with it. I got grilled feta and I was going to skip dessert, but Paris woman was kept talking about the chocolate cake. So I got the chocolate cake and uh, an espresso and I had sparkling water. My take it was all fabulous. Uh, really nice salads. Loved, uh, the, loved the octopus, perfectly cooked. And the feta, I realized I really need more feta and grilled feta in my life. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it's good stuff. So, and Greek food in general is just so good. The ambiance. So I'd say it's as good as it gets and it's this open air Alfresco Tavern, um, very bare bones like structure that, you know, there's a little bit of roof and like tree coverage. Um, but, but really it's one of these places you're there for the view. Um, it's perfect for uh, Alfresco lunch solo, I'd say with family or friends. Interesting tidbit. So Kiki's opened in 1984 um, as a home with traditional Greek food and serving food like home-cooked food and hospitality, which is why they invite you into the kitchen to pick your, to pick what you want to eat. It's a, it's a, it's a special experience, I would say. And it has become quite legendary. Uh, the owner saw in a quote, an article that he said he wants to create memories for people. Um, and it's when these restaurant doesn't have a sign, it doesn't have a phone number, you know, it's, it's, it's unique, but people are finding it. <laughs> Uh, personal fun fact. So um, 
I had rented my car. I drove around a little bit after, but uh, other places I went to while I was in Mykonos for a couple of days that I would recommend, it was uh, beachfront taverns called Miklos Tavern and Tassos Taverna. They were both more down in the south area, very casual, right on beachfront. And then I checked out two trendy spots called Namos and Scorpios. Um, and Mykonos lives up to its reputation of being a party island. I'll just say that. <laughs> People were partying. Uh, the cost of this meal was $63, 63 euro. And would I go back? Yes. Uh, they don't have a website, but they are on Instagram at kikis.tavern. And they're not related to the Kikis in New York City. I think somebody Somebody I met along the way thought they were, but there is a Kiki's in New York. That's great. But um, this is Kiki's.Tavern. So there, how, there you go. Have you ever been to the Greek, the Greek islands, um, Jessica? I, I haven't, but you're doing a very good sales pitch for their uh, tourism bureau. <laughs> sponsor, a new sponsor. Come on, Greek <laughs> islands. <laughs> Um, yeah, I had been, I, I hadn't been to Mykonos before, but I had been to Santorini, which I went to next on this trip. Um, but I was there when I was 21, which was more than 21 years ago. So <laughs> I was due to go back and it was, it was a nice summer, summer trip. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And this restaurant was great. You know, it's, it's like, it's one of those gems, um, that's special. Okay, so it's time for the final question. Uh, my next guest is John Meadow. He is the founder and president of LDV Hospitality, which is a boutique hospitality group that was founded on the ambition to bring the, the dream of La Dolce Vita to everyday life. And his concepts include Scarpetta, American Cut, The Seville, and Dolce Italian. So Jessica, can you please ask a question for John? Uh, sure. Um, the question I want to ask John is, I believe is he's on the advisory board of Food and Finance High School, uh, which is a school um, I got a chance to work a little bit with when I was on the board of the New York State Restaurant Association. So I would love to ask John to um, talk about how he got involved with Food and Finance High School and what sort of things he's working on with them. That's a great question. Yo, I'm so glad you asked that because I don't yeah, I want to find out his answer, and I think that's a that's great. He's involved with that. Um, it's uh, everything I know about it is it's a great program. So awesome, and um, that's the show. <laughs> so thank you so much. It was it was great chatting with you, learning more about what you're working on, and I can't wait to see what how the James Beard Foundation's boot hall comes out and everything else you're you're involved with. Oh, thank you so much, Sherry. This has been a, a pleasure, and I really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So, and I, I hope to see you in person one of these days, too. Likewise. So, thank you so much. My guest today has been Jessica Shupak. She's a New York-based F&B development consultant. You can find out more about her on her website at jessicashupak.com and follow her at What's She Eating? Which is her? Uh, I think you. That's that's from your blog that you started a while ago. I'm guessing it's sort of a defunct blog. You want to find some very stale uh, restaurant reviews? You can check me out there. But my website's probably a better place. Okay, great. Um, and I'm 
I'm old enough to remember the first days of food blogging, so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you can follow me. I'm at Sherry Bayer. I'm at Bayer, Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to Jessica. I am your host and producer, Sherry Bayer, and I'm going to be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. Have a great week, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.